Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be taking a look at the best ways to approach running your team in career mode for NHL 20s be a GM mode, because of course everyone always dreams of being an armchair GM. But speaking of armchair GMing, I have to say that for all of you Minnesota Vikings fans, I deeply apologize for what just occurred. My uh, my longtime love of Maryland football, Stefan Diggs, has been traded to the Buffalo Bills. I'm sure you don't want to talk about it. I'm sorry to see him go to a, well, not exactly ideal squad. Some part of me selfishly desired to see him in another team that wears purple, but I'm sure this is going to be a tough loss for you folks, so uh, I don't know what to say, Vikings fans, other than hopefully your first round pick turns into something good. Other than that, R.I.P. Now on to NHL 20 talk, which a lot of you have probably played. I think that the majority of folks who own a, a video game console and like hockey probably own this game. I myself find it to be a very stressful experience. I play it a lot with my dad, which um, my dad doesn't really play many NHL games, so sometimes things get a little bit hectic. Mostly, I try to explain how to defend or press buttons or do certain things, and we end up kind of ignoring all of the instructions and just sort of going about as if things are chaotic. My dad really does try, though. He really does, so I have to give him props for that. I do sometimes wish that he wouldn't, you know backhand the puck every two seconds into a harmless shot, or also turn over the puck in the neutral zone on almost every single pass attempt. But that's fine. It's okay. It's all good. We're enjoying quality family time. When I do play career mode, I tend to have a certain approach to things, and I usually take a team that's kind of like decent, or I'll I'll start with an expansion franchise. To be honest, I usually do the expansion option just because I find it to be more entertaining. The thing about building an expansion team in NHL 20 is that oftentimes you actually get pretty decent scraps to pick from. You know, with Vegas already in the league at this point in the game, you have some really interesting options to choose from. And what I like to do is, okay, I'll go for some guys who are like maybe overpaid veterans here and there because one thing you have to consider is hitting the salary cap. When I want to hit the salary cap, I always look for contracts that maybe have two to three seasons left. I like those high money, high dollar, decent value contracts in the sense that, okay, the the dollar cap and cap hit is probably pretty high, but maybe the guy's like an 85 rated winger or center or something. He's still productive in some respects, and you can, you know, reasonably use him to score a number of points in your first season as a franchise. The other thing some of the star names can do, especially the older veterans, is sell, you know, seats and jerseys and stuff in the game. I don't like micromanage finances in the merchandising stuff because I don't know that it actually has a significant impact on your income. I do know that, of course, attendance is the biggest thing, and concession prices also matter. Merchandising, though, especially with like specific player jerseys, eh, it does help to generate, I guess, national media attention for your team, but generally speaking, if I'm picking guys from the expansion draft, I'm not going to do that. What I will do is look for goaltenders of the future, because a lot of times when you do the expansion draft, you get stuck with a lot of, you know, middle six guys or backup goaltenders. But the one funny quirk about NHL 20 is that asset value tends to be a little bit haywire. So you can actually get some guys who are rated as maybe low or medium elite 
on like early 20s prospects, especially goalkeepers. And a couple of guys come to mind. I think Jonas Corposalo is a big one. Um, there's a few others that I can't really remember off the top of my head, but you can get like two or three of these guys uh, to either stash in your minors or start trending up as potentially your future starters because the starting goalies that you can actually get are usually like 82 or 83 rated and nothing good, if not lower than that, and usually they're making a lot of money. We're talking like the Brian Elliotts of NHL, which if you've ever used Brian Elliott in-game, you know that he's not particularly great. Once you've actually drafted your roster, it's time to go into preseason, and usually you'll have a mixture of prospects that you drafted in the NHL entry draft, where you'll usually have a top five or so pick. I usually get some kind of elite winger center or something. You could totally choose like some kind of high-end defensive prospect, but I usually opt for the forward. You can also assign a few scouts, but usually there's not a whole lot of time to gather that much information about any of the top prospects. You can also do like um, entry draft interviews, which identifies some of the player's strengths and weaknesses. You only get a few questions, and the information is just kind of general broad stuff. Tells you whether or not they think you might be a fit for them, and what kind of play style they offer. To be 100% honest, I can do away with all that crap because usually the information is just sort of mediocre and it's always the same sort of generic sounding conversation. There's not a whole lot of personality to it. I think that a lot of times these NHL and FIFA games, whenever they do like the, the manager mode, they try to add this um, so-called depth and, and presentation, but I feel like for the most part it's just annoying window dressing. If you're going to kind of glide through this this presentation and not really put that much effort into it don't bother just keep it at the core meat of it after that you can start signing free agents and some of the free agents are actually going to be decent you can also do what i like to do which is really get messy with the rfa agency uh tracker where you can sign guys especially if if some of the top talents are available and i usually go after a guy like Braden point point is going to cost you like four first picks Honestly, though, unlike in real life, NHL, the, the video games tend to have a pretty forgiving drafting system, and a lot of times I just tend to pick in random dudes uh, based on what the consensus ranking is, what some of my scouts think. Usually you can get a mixture of middle six to top six guys, occasionally a medium or low elite talent if you're really lucky. But a guy like Point just doesn't come around very often, and I feel like, you know, four first-round picks is very steep, but if you want to have fun with your team at the start and get a really great franchise center who's very young and probably going to be locked down for around 8 to $9 million per season, you could do a lot worse than building around Braden. Now, a lot of folks, once they get into the action, will just sim their games. I prefer to play them because I feel like if I'd spent all of this time de designing the in-arena experience, the jerseys, and the team, I actually want to play the games and have fun. In past NHLs, you did have to tune your own goalies' reaction speeds and stuff because they were especially porous and basically sieves on the stupidest of shots. This year, goalies are actually a lot more responsive, especially when they're on your team, so hopefully you won't have as many dumb point shots going in on things that really shouldn't be goals against. The AI does cheat from time to time, but generally speaking, I think you're going to have fun if you follow those initial steps and just kind of keep things a little bit simple. Don't forget to sign guys who can anchor your salary cap and provide roster depth because ultimately you'll have a lot of RFAs and expiring free agents from your expansion draft. So you'll need to prioritize which ones you want to sign and keep around your team, which is probably not as many. And you'll also want to dip into the free agency market to pick a couple of really decent vets up, maybe who can anchor your team for three to four seasons, if not longer, if there's somebody particularly nice that's available. 
speaking of armchair GMing, it's also time to start thinking about what exactly Winnipeg is going to do for its defense next season and what those pairings might look like, because right now the Jets' D is more than a little porous, shall we say. The first thing we have to talk about is the fact that Josh Morrissey may not be a first-pairing defender even when he's healthy. I don't know if he was ever healthy when he was playing this season. I generally think that he was a step behind the play and his reads didn't quite look right. He just didn't seem comfortable at any point, and you could tell that there are a couple of times this season where he actually did have some kind of injury. I forget who wrote the article, but a couple of months ago somebody talked about how both Truba and Morrissey apart have seen significant declines in their on-ice performance, mostly attributing perhaps to the fact that those two have a natural chemistry and a style that works for each other. I think, and this is just my uneducated opinion, but I think the gist of it is that Truba was a very big, dominant, right-handed, puck-carrying, puck-moving defenseman, and Morrissey is kind of his safety valve. Morrissey works best when he's not being asked to be the primary contributor on a defensive pairing. I think Josh can actually do that from time to time if you need him to, but I think he works best when you have somebody who's more aggressive offensively and can be strong on the puck, so that Morrissey allows himself to be more on the defensive side of things and make, I guess, longer reads and have more time to position himself where he wants to. Truba naturally attracts a lot of attention and and creates a lot of space for his line mates because he's this big, beefy dude with a big shot, and he can really aggressively drop into the offensive zone at a moment's notice. He has a play style that most Jets D right now do not have, and I think that that gave Morrissey the freedom to do his own thing, which was make um, good backtracks, effective reads along the left side, and then occasionally contribute on offense when all of the attention was pulled to the strong side wherever the puck was. Morrissey was asked to do a lot more this season, and I don't think that at any point this year he was really comfortable in that role as a first-pairing D. And I don't think that it's I don't think it's that he can't do this. I think that he just needs somebody who who suits that I guess right-handed defensive um, two-way transitional guy who can also be strong in the puck and attack aggressively on on a moment's notice. The closest the Jets have to that right now is is one of Neil Pionk or Sami Niku, and I think Sami Niku's kind of frozen out of the squad at the time. Niku was getting more top six minutes over the past couple of months, but in general, I think he's still kind of somebody who's not really on Paul Maurice's radar as a long-term D option. And to be honest, Niku's underlying numbers are pretty bad. Where the Jets kind of went wrong with developing him is not giving him enough time alongside someone like Dustin Bufflin, who can eat those top pairing minutes and also essentially create all of the space that someone like Niku would need at the NHL level. Unfortunately, even as somebody who loves what Sami can do in the offensive zone and, and the fact that he has amazing edge work, can't really cover his defensive liabilities. I think his reads in his own end are kind of bad. His positioning is sort of mediocre, and he's not exactly a physical guy to begin with. But you can kind of tell that the cogs were turning as he got more ice time. It did seem like he was trying to do more things, um, establish better body positioning, make use more use of physicality. I wouldn't say that he's like a really intensively physical guy, but he was trying to, I guess, box out his opponents a little bit better even if his actual efficacy at any of these things was generally pretty low. On the other hand, his offensive instincts remain as sharp as ever. I thought that he had great ability to skate the puck out of his own end, which is one thing that the Jets don't really have much of in the way of blue line support. Um, He's also got a very smart shot, and he's got great passing. I think both of these things, especially when he's activating in the offensive zone from the point, allows him to attack space. He kind of has that Truba natural ability to get shots on net, and find really slippery gaps. 
where Truba was perhaps a bit more of a meat and potatoes, slap shot, big bruising type, I think that Niku has a bit more elegance to his game. He is a faster skater in my opinion, and I think that he also attacks space more like a winger at times. Truba is almost like a big, strong, physical, center-like player. In some respects, he reminds me a little bit of the way that Adam Lowry could sort of bruise and bully his way into the offensive zone, especially on the forecheck and on the puck. Niku prefers carving up ice, and I think that that's something that the Jets could really use, especially with a, a fairly defensive partner. So somebody like Morrissey might be a good pairing option for him. I also think that if Dylan Sandberg signs, say, in this offseason, I think Sandberg might actually be the kind of two-way transitional D that Morrissey needs as his right-handed partner. If I recall correctly, I think Sandberg is actually a lefty, but in this case, I guess you could have one of them playing their offhand. I'm not sure that that's the best solution. Guys usually like to, to do better with their uh, preferred hand. And in this case, if Sandberg is going to be, say, playing top four minutes, he's probably going to start on the second pair. You might also give like someone like Leon Gavanki a, a look on the right side. I think that he and Kovacevic could be potentially second and third pairing D. Gavanki especially looks very good, and he's starting to develop into what some have described as like a Josh Morrissey light. Gavanki, in my thought process, probably has more offensive potential. I also think that his defensive issues, um, especially when he was younger, were, were more magnified. I'm not sure if he's really rounded out that side of his game yet, but there's no denying that when he's in the offensive zone, his distribution and shot are both very useful assets. The Jets have lacked a really bona fide power play quarterback, um, especially with Neil Pionk being sufficient but not particularly great at passing. If Givanki can be that right-handed point pivot, I think that that would be an amazing boon to the Jets because right now they, they, they just don't have anyone who can actually do that. Pionk passes too slowly, Morrissey is a lefty, so that pivot doesn't really work that well. And your remaining right-handed options kind of sink to someone like Tucker Pullman, who I forget if he's even a righty or a lefty at this point. The Jets basically just don't have any real quality NHL right-handed D past Neil Pionk. Beyond that, I definitely want to bring Dmitry Kulikov back on a cheap deal if he's willing to sign for like a million and a half. I think that he's been pretty good in the defensive role, and if you have him as your second or third pairing left D, I think you're looking pretty, pretty happy with that. Um, obviously, I don't want him getting a ton of ice time, but I think that Kulikov, in the doses that he's been given, has been very effective. As long as he stays out of pressure and out of trouble, Kulikov has been very solid, and he can be a nice safety valve for whoever comes in next to him. Not exactly sure that I want that guy to be Pullman, but I think Tucker is probably suited to be a number six, uh, especially next to a guy like Kulikov in the third pairing. I'm not sure if he can do much more beyond that, but I think it's worth giving a look. It also gives the Jets a little more flexibility in figuring out how they want to introduce Samberg, Kovacevic, and Gavanki. Maybe a Chisholm if Chisholm is ready for it down the road. This team is kind of in the funny position of needing to rush guys a little bit because their defensive unit is pretty rough, but some of these dudes are probably ready to take the next step and graduate. Also, finding a spot for Niku more regularly is something I would like to see, but I won't be shocked if none of that ends up panning out and the Jets' D looks a little bit differently than I'm envisioning next season. Before thinking too much about next season, it's important to hear about some opportunities that are available to local businesses right here, right now. If you've been a listener of this podcast, you've no doubt heard about all of the great advertisers currently working with Locked On to reach sports fans around the world. What you may not know is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is the perfect way for your local business to reach passionate Jets fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local Jets fans on a routine basis. Our podcast listeners are unique. They're Locked On listeners, and they're hardcore fans just like you. 
If you want to connect with local Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then feel free to drop us a line at the Locked On Podcast Network. Local fans love supporting local businesses, and we love supporting you. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and drop us a line. Our team will work with you step-by-step to achieve the greatest level of Locked On advertising success. Once again, be sure to text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. With the uh, hockey-related talk out of the way, I figured I'd change gears a little bit since we are still in isolation at the moment, and there are some fun things that are coming out to distract us. I think the first thing that we want to talk about is, of course, Nintendo's mammoth Animal Crossing series. If you've never played Animal Crossing, which I won't say that I'm a devotee because I'm not, it's kind of like um, a farming simulator meets The Sims meets Nintendo cuteness, I guess? I don't know, it's kind of hard to describe. There's something about it that's just very peaceful and relaxing, and I feel like when you want good wholesome content, Animal Crossing always seems to be there. If nothing else, it's written really good for the like super great memes and stuff, and it's going to be one of 2020's big cultural touchstones. I think that Animal Crossing, for a lot of folks, is just a nice reprieve, especially with how much bad news and stuff continues to inundate us daily, Animal Crossing is something nice to look forward to. It'll be out this Friday on Nintendo Switch, which is great because I just picked up my new Animal Crossing Nintendo Switch, and I feel like the only way to pair it naturally is to actually play Animal Crossing on the dedicated Switch. Up next, we also have Doom Eternal coming out, which if you haven't played any of the recent Dooms, I recommend that you just stop listening and give it a shot because it's an adrenaline ride through wasting away so many hours, blowing away evil demons, and saving the world once again. This time, though, you have a few new tricks up your sleeve, and Doom Eternal seems to be taking cues from some of the cancelled Dune games and really expanding the environments and lore of the world. For the first time ever, you can also customize your Doom Slayer. Your Doom guy is going to look like a new person. Maybe um, you you make your armor like unicorn-themed or something. There's a couple of different unlockable skins that you can mess around with. But pretty much, you play Doom for one thing, and that's just tearing apart everything in sight. The famous tagline of the first Doom remake was Rip and Tear, and that's that's basically Doom Eternal's motto, but turned up a couple of notches. I think that this new game is going to be a ton of fun. I'm very much looking forward to it, and it comes from a studio with a lot of pedigree. It's also being published by Bethesda, which is right around where I live, so I feel obviously very connected to the whole Bethesda game studios. Of course, I've played Skyrim, most of the Elder Scrolls games even so far as playing Fallout 76, which we don't really talk about. Elder Scrolls Online is what Fallout 76 dreams of being, except it's just not really close to being there yet and may never never be, but hey, at least Doom Eternal is going to kick a whole lot of butt and really makes for just an entertaining experience. It's going to be on almost every platform imaginable, so really, if you want to play it, you're not going to be uh, worrying about options for which, which platform to choose. The nice thing about Doom and Animal Crossing coming out is apparently, for some reason, there's this weird sort of marriage of two of these very distinctly different game worlds and cultures merging with, like, the uh, Isabel X Doom guy ship or whatever. I don't know, it's super weird. I think it's kind of funny, though, because it creates a ton of great memes, and it seems like Angry Isabel is, like, the official, uh, I don't know, mascot for 2020. This year has already kind of started off on a real sour note, so it's really nice to have two great escapes coming on the same day when all we really want to do is just kind of kick off some steam and have something to do because we're still locked inside the house and really we could use a good distraction right about now. 
I hope you folks pick it up, and if you do, let me know, because I'll probably be doing some Nintendo friend codes and stuff, and I'll be sure to uh, come visit your islands and stuff when I have the chance. Also, if you missed it, this past weekend I did upload another Stories from the Game Worn Hockey Community episode, this one with a collector from the D.C. area. He's a good friend of mine, his name's Brett, and he's a Caps collector. Also, some Vancouver-related stuff in that one, uh, also pertaining to Brett's collection, so be sure to tune in. As always, thank you so much for listening, have a great evening, and be sure to tune in to the new Locked On NHL National Show. See you tomorrow.